Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast, where we like to talk about how to make marriage into a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, and this week we are going to be talking about postpartum sex, how to regain intimacy even after you've had a baby and when recovery can take a little bit longer than usual. You know, I have had three babies in my life. And my recovery period was different for each one. With Rebecca, who was my first that I gave birth to, I had a lot of tearing. I had a third degree tear. I couldn't walk for about six to seven weeks. And it was just really difficult getting back into intimacy, just getting back into normal life. Um, With Christopher, who was our middle child who passed away uh, from a heart defect, he was much smaller when he was born. I believe I actually walked home from the hospital. It was about four blocks from where we lived. So I was doing really well after him and I didn't have any problems healing up postpartum at all. And then Katie was my biggest child. She was about a pound and a half bigger than Rebecca. She was nine and a half pounds when she was born. And yet my recovery with her was actually easier than with Rebecca. And by the time I was six weeks postpartum with her, I really felt pretty much normal. So all of that is to say that postpartum recovery is different. It's different for each woman. It can even be different for each baby. And so this idea that there's a one size fits all recovery period or recovery process is just not true. And so I am going to have Rebecca and Joanna join us and do most of this podcast because Rebecca is in the middle of postpartum. Uh, Joanna has had a baby, has had a very traumatic miscarriage, which she has shared about on the blog and is dealing with more pregnancy issues now. And so they have a lot of things that they have learned from medical professionals and from their own lives and walking through this recently. They are also my amazing co-authors for The Great Sex Rescue, which is coming out with Baker Books next spring in 2021. And they are the ones who did the big, huge bear marriage survey with me. And so now I'm going to turn this over to Rebecca Gregoire Lindenbach and Joanna Daigle-Sawatsky. Hi, and welcome to Millennial Marriage, although this is not really a millennials issue. This is just a issue that right now is hitting a lot of millennials because of the age that our demographic is. Um, But I'm here with Joanna today. And we are going to be talking about intimacy postpartum. So we got a question from a reader that said this. I wondered if you had any advice for maintaining intimacy in the postpartum period. I'm currently in my third trimester and right now intimacy between my husband and me is fantastic. But I worry about after the baby is born. Obviously there's a period where I'll be physically unable to have sex, but I'm more concerned with dealing with the emotional side of things. It's hard to feel like a wife when I'm so caught up in that phase of motherhood. Especially with breastfeeding and the hormone changes, I remember feeling for a while after my other kids were born like I would be okay with never having sex again. It took a while for me to get back to a place of desiring my husband. Do you have any advice for dealing with this? My husband is a very patient and understanding man, but I'm just really loving where we are right now and I don't want to create distance between us, even in the challenging postpartum period, if possible. So we've got some thoughts. So we wanted to start by just kind of talking about what postpartum was like for both of us, because in the last two years, Joanne and I have both had a postpartum period. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have like the sunshine and rainbows varieties. No, definitely not. (laughs) So why don't you go first, Rebecca? It's fresher for you. Yeah, sure. So I actually talked about this already on the podcast a couple months ago when the baby was first born about the complications that I had. So again, not meaning to terrify any of you if you're currently pregnant and listening to this. Trust me, even now, only three months in, I'm like, meh, I'd do it all again. So just with that in mind, I had a third degree tear and a bad third degree tear. Okay, like when you feel around where the stitches were, it was pretty scary how bad that tear was. And then on top of that, for about 
two months afterwards, I had a full body rash, which is incredibly rare, but does happen in one in 300 pregnancies, I think it was. Um, And it's just a hormonal reaction that you get after you um, have a baby sometimes. And it was like having poison oak all over my entire body while I had this third degree tear. And I had to just kind of be bedridden and I wasn't even cleared to walk for four weeks, but I was so itchy. It was quite terrible. Let, Let me just, let me step in here. I have horrible poison ivy allergy. I have had it head to toe. My eyes have swollen shut. I I know something about full body rashes, but I'm going to step in here and just point out that my head to toe poison ivy rashes always responded to calamine lotion. And Rebecca, I recall that your rash did not respond to calamine lotion. Well, I don't think you can even use calamine lotion when you're breastfeeding. No, you were stuck with lidocaine and oatmeal baths. And oatmeal baths are good, but they are not the same as, like, an It's, like, good for 20 minutes. Yeah, like, I was on, like, steroid stuff, all this goodness (laughs) that you can't use. Like, it's not the same as poison oak or poison ivy. It was so much worse. It was awful. Anyway, I I just felt so badly for you at the time. Yeah, so we, it was not the most fun. And it, of course, kind of did raise the tension level in marriage on top of just figuring out how to be parents and welcoming in our perfect, wonderful little baby boy into our family. And it was a really good time. Like that first month, month and a half was really good in the sense that, you know, we'll always treasure it. But it was also something that neither Connor nor I was like, man, I can't wait to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a short version of mine. Yeah, we had we had a few number of phone calls where Rebecca would be like, I don't know, like I'm feeling like I don't want to have another kid. And she and I were both like, This is a discussion we're gonna have like down the road. Like six months, a year, like you got time. We're not gonna deal with this right now. Just put it exactly. Just, and so. you know what? Once that rash cleared up, I was like, I could do it again. The rash is the worst part. But anyway, that was my short version. So what did you you go through yours now? Okay, so I apologize if this is a little long. I come from a family where if we're going to do something, like, we're going to do it pretty intensely. And I don't entirely know why that is. I call it peak Daigle. And sometimes peak Daigle just chooses you. And my postpartum period was just definitional peak Daigle. In fact, I coined the phrase during my postpartum period because I recognized that it is just a pattern that we go through. So I defended my MPH, Master's in Public Health thesis, on Friday. And then Saturday was Katie's wedding. Wait, I was going to interject. Okay, yes. Katie being my little sister, Sheila's other daughter. Oh, yeah. That Katie. Uh-huh. Yes, that Katie. We saw Rebecca. My sisters came up. My parents were there. It was great. It was a great time. We loved being with everybody. And then Sunday, we hung out in Kingston, had a blast. And then Monday morning, we drove to the hospital, and I was induced. Uh, the induction was like a two-day thing. So the first day was super chill, and we just kind of hung out at the hospital, and I walked around. And then the next day, we started Pitocin early in the morning, and uh, I had the baby very quickly. I am one of those people who takes to Pitocin like a duck to water. Um, I had had quite terrible uh, gestational diabetes, which was not very fun. And so I got to be induced and had all sorts of special doctors looking after me. And I was very wrapped up in cotton wool. But unfortunately, all of those wonderful doctors did not know, because I didn't know, that I uh, have a bleeding disorder. Yay. So I then proceeded to bleed quite a lot uh, after giving birth. Ended up being fine. They, I was in really good care. Um, this is why I would be a very big advocate of um, giving birth in a hospital. That is an aside. But I would have died if I hadn't been in a hospital. So not to scare anybody, but that is a thing. So anyway, I, I gave birth. I had all that bleeding. 
and the bleeding was caused in my case not by the uterus failing to contract but because of a tear uh, my tear was a second degree tear so not as far back or deep as Rebecca's uh, mine was much more spidery um, and the bleeding was more than should have come out of a tear that size so uh, the, the tear wasn't actually the huge issue for me recovering postpartum was just recovering from a, a truly ridiculous amount of blood loss I then two weeks later um, my husband was working an hour away from where we were living and he had to go take the bar exam to go become a lawyer and that was really inopportunely timed with when I was giving birth so we were gonna go drive in two hours to where he was gonna take the test and stay in a hotel overnight with our precious baby and I was all excited to look after my husband and then I had been bleeding more and so I called my doctor and my doctor told me to go to the ER instead of going to Toronto and then I called Keith and I said my doctor says to go to the ER do I have to go to the ER and Keith said yes if your doctor says go to the ER you go to the ER so he went to the ER and I had a secondary bleed and had to and R Sheila came and rescued me and it was it's all on the blog actually if you want to read about it I'm sure we'll put the link in the show notes um <laughs> but it was quite the adventure um and then my husband took the bar he did fine passed it which was great uh they figured out my bleeding yay uh, I am now very wrapped in cotton wool um whenever I'm expecting and uh, that is a very nice thing so yeah, uh, it was definitely a bit of a crazy postpartum period for me, partly because of life things, um, the thesis, the bar, um, we've moved four months after I gave birth. It was just an intense period for me emotionally, and I was also quite shot after having to deal with very intense uh, diabetes while pregnant. Um, it's a big mental issue to have to be so careful about what you eat. And uh, I always felt like I was failing my child. And that was a really hard place to be for months on end. Um, so I just didn't have a lot in the tank by the time I gave birth. And well, and then you lost like a good chunk of the blood that you had literally in the tank uh -huh. after you gave birth. I remember FaceTiming with you. you we, she was very, very pale for like weeks afterwards. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm always pretty pale, but I was ghostly for a while there. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Like your postpartum, you just had a lot going on beforehand. And then, of course, you lost so much blood that it kind of leaves you so exhausted afterwards. And then with and then with mine, it was more of the I was fine leading up, and then I was just kind of slammed with the physical stuff. But I didn't have the the exhaustion aspect in the same way. Yeah, the thing I, I realized giving birth, it, something is very likely to be hard about your pregnancy or postpartum period, right? Something there'll be a baby with colic. I didn't have that. Um, I, my daughter's always napped. Alex didn't particularly nap. You had pups. I had the bleeding thing and the diabetes. And, you know, everybody has their thing. But you're never going to have all the things. Like, it, it's so statistically unlikely. So yeah, sometimes I would feel scared before I had my daughter about, you know, what was going to happen when I had a baby. And, and it felt much better um, once I realized, actually, you know what? Actually, no, it's not going to be everything. There will be some things that go sideways, but mostly it'll be okay. So I don't want to, we don't want to say all this to scare anybody, but we also want you to understand the context from which we're talking about the postpartum period. Um, yeah, and also, spoiler alert, we both are in happy marriages and are doing pretty well. And so we also want to be a bit of a, you know, encouragement that even if you have something kind of rough happen, you do get through it. Oh, absolutely. If you do the work.
Yeah. So the the interesting thing I think in all of this is that I had a very high risk pregnancy, and I got to see the very you know big wig specialist, uh, all of the publications in the scientific journals, doctors, and they were lovely. But I got about five minutes with them per appointment, which is perfectly standard, and they did a great job. But I got excellent care, not complaining about that at all. But I was absolutely amazed by how much more knowledge uh, Rebecca and my other friends who have gone to midwives have had and how much better prepared they've been for the postpartum period. So I, I definitely wanted to make sure you you shared what your midwives told you in particular, because I know I didn't get that benefit. And I think a lot of women who are listening don't get that benefit either. Yeah, and I do want to make it very clear that midwives in Ontario mean something very different than midwives in the U.S. Midwives in Ontario actually have a license to practice midwifery. Like, they're a registered midwife nurse practitioner. They have a three-year degree that is licensed by the government. Like, it is legitimate. They have proper training in evidence-based practice. This is not the same thing as just getting a little bit of training or having had to simply have been present at a lot of births in order to be able to call yourself a midwife. Um, they are have hospital privileges. They are legitimate medical professionals, okay? So I just wanna make that very clear because a lot of the times when the word midwife is used in the States, it does not actually mean the same things it does in Canada and it does not have the same medical benefits and it does carry higher risk because the people are simply not trained in the same way. So just want to say that. But yes, my midwives were amazing and fantastic. And when I um, gave birth and I had these complications, I experienced a great deal of stress when it came to the idea of anything going on down there. Like I couldn't even touch my, like I, like uh, wiping after the washroom was quite traumatic kind of thing because I was scared that I would feel that something was different. Like that, that's just a really big thing that just freaked me out completely and so my midwives actually had to do an exam just to make sure all my stitches were healing and I had a major panic attack and she took my hands and she pretty much just gave me a whole talk about what sex was going to be like after after you've had a baby and she says you gotta realize you are different now your body is different and that's okay it's going to react properly you just need to retrain it you need to rediscover it and you're going to go really really slowly you're going to start like you are back to never having been kissed before kind of thing. You're going to start with holding hands and snuggling and kissing and then cuddling naked maybe or having baths or something along those lines. You're going to work your way up. And you, when you start doing sexual things, you don't start with the big deed, right? You don't start with actual sex. You start with very small increments so that you can just kind of explore each other's bodies again and relearn how to get aroused and how to respond properly so that eventually your body is able to have pain-free sex after you've had a baby. And the reality is that a lot of people have sex at six weeks and they're ready for it. A lot of people are not. And that is perfectly okay. You just need to go at the rate that your body is going and you need to just continue to do the things that your pelvic floor physiotherapist tells you to do. And eventually it's all going to work. And that was such a calming message for me because she just gave me complete permission to allow my body to heal in the way that it was going to heal. And the other thing that she really emphasized is that, you know, you're going to have a bit of a suppressed libido 
while you are in those first couple months because breastfeeding takes a lot out of your body. And also the reality is our bodies kind of don't want to have kids one after another in the same way. It takes a lot from your body. So the best thing that they can do is just make your brain say, yeah, sex is a nah-nah, maybe not <laughs> at this point. And so it does kind of turn off a lot of the the hormones in your brain that make you want to have sex. And so you kind of have to amp yourself up for a little bit more, even if you were a high drive wife before. And that's perfectly okay. And you don't need to be afraid that your libido is never going to come back because it really does, especially when the baby starts sleeping through the night. So you're getting more sleep, you know, maybe your body is healing and you're getting more energy back because your energy isn't going towards healing, healing tears or, you know, rebuilding muscle that you lost, those kinds of things. So she gave me permission to just accept that my body was going to do what it does and it might do it slowly, it might do it quickly, but you got to go along with what your body is saying it is ready for. You know, because I was terrified I was going to experience a lot of pain in the sex postpartum. And honestly, my husband was really terrified that that was going to be a problem too because he didn't want that to be for us. And so we just took it super, super, super slow. You know, and when I went to see my pelvic floor physiotherapist, which by the way, even if you don't think you're going to have any problems after you've had a baby when it comes to the bedroom, just see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Just get checked out. Just sort it out. You know, just you you never know what what they might find because there are things that they can help you do for exercises and stretches and stuff that can help your body repair so much better and so much faster. Anyway, that's just an aside. They're wonderful medical professionals. We love Yeah, them. they really are. But the thing is, that period after the baby, if you both are on the same page when it comes to your recovery, especially when it comes to your, like, I, the sexual recovery is a weird term for it, but I don't really know a better way of putting it, but the recovery of your sex drive and of your sex life as well, if you're on the same page and you understand that there are steps that you are taking to make it better, to get back to that place, that period after you've had a baby doesn't feel as much like I'm being so inconvenient to him by not letting him have sex. It's more of a, this is something that we're doing together for us, for our marriage, so that sex in the long term is really, really great and that we don't have a long time of us making sex really bad because she's having it out of guilt even though it makes it painful for her. So because of my tear and my bleeding, I was not cleared to uh, have sex for quite a while after giving birth. And my husband, like, didn't complain about it. It wasn't a thing we talked about. It, it wasn't a big deal. It's part of doing life together. And I think part of being a mature grown-up is recognizing when it's not about you. And quite frankly, the postpartum period is not about whether or not he's getting some. And that's a little, that's a little bit harsh. But the postpartum period is about protecting the mental health of both mom and dad, making sure baby is happy and healthy and uh, growing appropriately and thriving and figuring out what your lives look like as a new family, whether or not you're parents for the first time and you're adjusting to what it looks like to be, you're truly a grown-up when you uh -huh. have a kid. Um, and also you're dealing with an incredible responsibility and the sense of your life extending beyond you. It's, it's very overwhelming. Um, or if you're having a second child and you're figuring out what family looks like now that there is another member in your family. That all is more important than when precisely postpartum you start to have sex again, quite frankly. And I just want to make sure that we really emphasize that sacrificial love is part of marriage 
And for husbands in the postpartum period, loving their wives means allowing there to be some time where they aren't getting what they might prefer in the bedroom. I don't mean that wives should be selfish or that they should withhold from their husbands forever and ever and ever. But if it's a three-month transition, that's very normal. Like, I think the average is 11 to 12 weeks that women tend to wait postpartum. Six weeks is the minimum, not the average. So let's just keep that in perspective and as part of the conversation. Um, Very much depends on the situation. I know Keith and Sheila have been very open about the fact that they did not follow any of the recommendations when it came to after Christopher was born because that's what they needed and that's what Sheila's body was able to manage. And that was where they were. And that's really important. Listening to your body, listening to what you need in that moment. Um, so my husband and I decided to, to go for it again in the bedroom. It was fine. We jumped right in and definitely went from zero to 60, uh, which was fine for us. Unfortunately, because of my tear, I had significant issues with pain um, during sex. And called my mom and was like, what do I do, mommy? And my beloved mother said, honey, uh, why don't you go talk to Sheila about it? (laughs) (laughs) Which was perfectly fair because I work for a sex blog and I had just started working here at the time. So I went and I talked to Sheila and she was like, ah... That's actually part of why we're doing this is because when I, I needed a resource, there wasn't anything on to love, honor, and vacuum. So, haha, here we are now. We are being the resource that I wanted at the time. Um, I also experienced what's called micro-tearing, which is so fun. So essentially, I would bleed after um, sex, which is also not great. So after a bit of research and looking into some things, I went to pelvic floor physiotherapy and absolutely loved my physiotherapist. She was amazing because of the difficulties of moving right during the postpartum period, um, it took me longer to get in and get sorted um, than it would have been ideal, but we made it work. So my advice, having had that experience, is I wish I had known about pelvic floor physiotherapy earlier, and I wish that I had sought care and stopped immediately because I didn't know. It was truly a thing out of ignorance. Um, I just wasn't empowered with the information that if you're having a lot of pain in sex, like when you're gritting your teeth or wishing it was over, that kind of thought is a significant issue. And it's good just to stop uh, and then go seek medical attention. Talk to your family doctor or GP. If you can't afford physiotherapy, um, look into other options uh, through your medical provider. But yeah, pelvic floor physiotherapists are absolutely wonderful, and it is incredibly bizarre to be in an appointment and um, get massages in your uh, nether regions. And yet they are wonderful professionals who do not make it awkward. Nope. um, My pelvic floor physio would hold my crying baby because I had had to bring my baby to the appointment, and and she would just snuggle my baby while we... (laughs) did our thing and she took really good <laughs> care of me so yeah it's it's a really great uh, option for women and I would highly highly recommend pelvic floor physiotherapy if you've had any sort of trauma with your delivery be it a tear forceps anything like that um, if you just have pain postpartum or if you're just concerned about it it's just wise to go and get checked out they're they're great medical professionals and they they offer a lot to help women 
Yeah, I would even say, even if there's nothing that necessarily went wrong with your delivery, um, I know that I went to go see my pelvic floor physiotherapist before I tried anything in the bedroom because I was like you know what she's going to be able to tell me if it's going to hurt or if it's going to be or if I'm doing pretty good and pretty much she she at the appointment was pretty much yeah don't don't go for it for now we're going to do exercises and stretches to make sure that it doesn't hurt and that's something where you never know how your body's going to kind of recover and so going to see someone ahead of time they can make sure to help you get on kind of the the road to of least resistance <laughs> when it comes to getting back to a great sex life um, and so I just really recommend that. And yeah, they really are quite understanding of everything. I've had so many appointments now where like Alex is breastfeeding on me while I'm getting the mm-hmm. internal exam. It's it's quite hilarious, actually, when you're at a women's clinic. But that's exactly just what we want to say is that there are solutions if you do experience any issues afterwards. Um, traumatic deliveries can be a little bit more tricky, but that doesn't mean that you have to settle for pain. That doesn't mean you need to settle for a ho-hum kind of sex afterwards. If you are experiencing pain or if you're experiencing a lack of sensation, they can help with both of those. And it is important to get that looked at. You're worth it. If it's incontinence, if it's pain, if it's whatever, those are all things that pelvic floor physiotherapists can help with. And thank the Lord we have access to them in today's day and age. It is incredibly worthwhile. The other thing I wanted to bring up here is that I had a miscarriage in June, and that was a very different experience, obviously. I did not come home with a baby in my arms. Um, But still, uh, recovery afterward was challenging. And getting back sexually took me a while, not because my husband isn't a a saint, not because I um, was physically unable to do anything, but because emotionally I was so distraught after the experience of a miscarriage. Well, that was for me after a miscarriage and it was really emotionally very challenging for incredibly obvious reasons. I do want to just point out that postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety are also really, really difficult uh, for women to deal with. And they're incredibly common. And if you're going in through the postpartum period and you just can't imagine having sex, it doesn't sound good to you, that's okay. You're allowed to say to your husband, you know what, I'm not ready yet. Or to have sex that is kind of ho-hum for a while. That's sort of how it was for me for quite a while after my miscarriage. It took me a while to emotionally heal. And I recognized that my libido was just going to take a while. And that I was okay with that. That I was okay with kind of slowly working my way back to being the person who I am. Because I was in deep grief. And um, that didn't necessarily mean foregoing sex for me. That just meant having a different expectation for what I would get out of it. And that was okay um, for where I was at the time. Exactly. Yeah, I just want to make sure that women have the... That you were giving yourself permission to feel how you're feeling. And not to, to... You don't need to settle. That's why we're talking about pelvic floor physiotherapy. That's also why if you're dealing with PPD or PPA... You know, talking to your doctor, getting counseling if that's going to help you. If you need antidepressants, taking them. Like, whatever you need to do to get better, doing those things. But also giving yourself grace while you're working on um, embracing this wonderful new stage of your life, um, but also this colossal transition that's just happened. 
Exactly. I think that we have a hard time accepting the different seasons of life. And whenever we talk about the postpartum recovery season, I think a lot of times there's a lot of pressure to get back to normal as soon as possible. But it's also perfectly healthy to say, you know what, I'm going to have a suppressed libido because I'm breastfeeding. That's okay. It's going to get back to where it was when we're not breastfeeding anymore. But we're currently in a season where it's just going to be maybe a little slower for me to heat up. And that's totally okay, and you can recognize that and still have a great sex life while you're in that period of life, but it's just not going to feel the same as when you're not breastfeeding because of your hormones. And I just hope that this reader who sent in the question, who's kind of stressed out that sex isn't going to be great after the kid because her hormones are going to just make her libido shot, recognizes that, yeah, you know sometimes that's just what happens and it's okay and that's totally normal and this reader also asked about the emotional distance she said she didn't want to create distance even in the challenging postpartum period and i know that some of the things that connor and i found caused a lot of distance were simply the stress of the everyday you know because he had to do everything because i was bedridden and so pretty much all of our interactions were logistics and me asking him to do something or him trying to get me to go back to bed because I was trying to do something and trying to help, but me helping caused him a lot more stress because he was like, ah, my wife is going to not recover properly. And so there was a lot of that going on. And the main things that we kind of talked about are really simple changes that would have made a big difference. For us, it would have been just You know, having less healthy food, but food that's really easy to put together. Like, we don't eat cereal at our house, but like, next baby, you can bet that we're buying some shreddies for breakfast Mm -hmm. because it takes all of 10 seconds to make a meal. Shreddies, put some blueberries on top. Not hard. And then the other thing is that we did a sleep training course with our son five weeks at five weeks old. Not sleep training in terms of letting him cry it out because he's not old enough for that yet, but just kind of a newborn care course that teaches you how to put your kid to sleep not on top of you like in their own crib and it changed our lives so much Mm -hmm. and we're going to be doing that from day one next time because it's a gentle no cry method it's fantastic so doing anything to help you get sleep for the kid means that you actually have physical time with each other And the other thing is just making sure that we are spending our time together in really emotionally connecting ways, right? If you have 10 minutes by yourselves, don't spend it on your phones beside each other. Spend it actually cuddling. You know, those kinds of things, even just those very, very small, small changes, I think will make a really big difference for us. Just having easy food available so that one person is spending their whole time either doing dishes or cooking having, you know, sleep be a priority for your kid from day one and doing all you can. And then also really using the spare moments, even if it's only five to 15 minutes at a time to really connect and not just simply goof off, but actually use it as time to bring you two closer together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and sometimes there are things in the postpartum period, we had a lot of things that were just situationally difficult. Exactly. That didn't have to do with the postpartum period. So my husband will not be taking the bar when we have our next child. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yeah, this is not going to happen. And you won't be defending your MPH or anything. So it's just ridiculous. It was utterly ridiculous. But yeah, that'll be better, right? And, and, some of that was just, it was unavoidable for us. I think not bleeding is probably going to be a pretty big one. Yeah, the other thing, the big one for me next time is going to be that now we know I'm a bleeder and they're going to give me really good drugs. <laughs> yeah, I think the other one is newborn sleep. And the thing I learned too, having, again, gone into the postpartum period really emotionally shot is 
that prioritizing mom's sleep is also really important. Exactly. Because if the kid doesn't sleep well, maybe it needs to be that you have your husband take shifts where he doesn't sleep. Because the reality is if both of you aren't sleeping, well, you're still the one who has your whole body to recover. And you and you being the wife, they're also the one who's likely breastfeeding. And you're also at much higher risk of dealing with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety it can affect exactly. either partner but it's much more likely in mom for incredibly obvious reasons um so yeah I, I would just really make sure you're doing what you can to protect your mental and physical health um and so for me that meant that I was in bed for 12 hours so I would go to bed at eight and I'd get up at eight and I wasn't asleep for 12 hours I was probably asleep for seven but doing that really helped me with our first. I'm hoping we get a, have a better time with sleeping now that we know about the Taking Care of Babies course and can, can implement some of those things uh, from the get-go. That was just not part of what we were capable of with our first, again, because we didn't know about it, and secondly, because of all the craziness that was going on. So I think, yeah, just giving yourself permission, figuring out what works for you, keeping things simple so that you don't have to do tons of stuff. We just got a Roomba because I'm writing a book and taking care of a toddler and dealing with various and sundry health issues. And so vacuuming has just not been top of mind. And it has, frankly, hasn't been getting done. And I've been feeling like a failure about it. And my husband told me we're getting a Roomba and we did get a Roomba (laughs) and it's making our lives so much better. And it's totally silly. But man, it's amazing what an investment like that can do. And and we have the financial freedom to do that because I just signed a book contract. But whatever that is for you, whatever your budget is, even something really small. Like um, buying shreddies instead of yeah, having to buy cook shreddies. eggs. <laughs> or they have those things that you put in your toilet bowl so you don't have to clean your toilet as frequently. Like, I mean, do that kind of thing that will make you feel like a person and not like you're failing at keeping your house up. Um, because you have a tiny baby. Yeah, and I just want to encourage you, if you are stressed out about the postpartum period, if you're like this writer who, you know, you feel like life is great right now, like we're doing, we're in a really good groove, and I'm so worried this is going to kind of throw us off of that groove, just understand that, you know, there are seasons, and you're going to have some seasons where everything is perfect, and like, man, I could live in this forever, and you're going to have some seasons where you have a suppressed libido because you're breastfeeding, (laughs) and that is okay, and that doesn't mean that you're not going to get back to the great, um, and that doesn't mean that you're not going to get back to the season where everything is easy. And also, it doesn't mean that the season where things are more difficult can't also be something that brings you two closer together. And don't be afraid to take steps to make it easier for you to connect, even if it means doing something silly like buying cereal instead of making eggs in the morning or, you know, buying a Roomba so you don't have to vacuum. Just be creative and figure out what kinds of things you and your spouse can do so that you have those 15, 20 minute increments even while you have a newborn, where you can sit and you can snuggle and you can kiss and reconnect and start to feel like a wife again. My mom likes to say about parenting that this too shall pass. And she means the good stuff and the bad stuff. So the snuggly parts of the newborn days will be gone and you'll have a busy toddler. And you'll love your busy toddler, but you'll remember the newborn days fondly because of all that snuggle time. Simultaneously, the sleeplessness the getting used to sex again, all those challenges of the postpartum period, th- that too will pass. And so just keep that perspective in your mind that this is this is a season, savor it as much as you can. And if you can't savor it, it's going to pass anyway. So enjoy it as much as you can and hold it loosely and just uh, embrace the gift of the new life that God is bringing into your family. 
I'm going to jump back into our postpartum podcast here. Thank you, Becca and Joanna, for all of that. But I have a reader question that I would rather tackle. And so I am going to read it to you. And I brought my husband, Keith, on to help me answer this one. Yep. Okay, here we go. A woman writes in and says, I have an almost one-year-old still camping out in our bedroom every night because her bedroom has yet to be remodeled. It is currently a storage room for my husband's tools. We have to get a shed for those, plus put flooring in and paint, etc. We bought this house in foreclosure and her room is the last to be fixed. I have told my husband how her presence in our room hurts my sleep. She is impossible to night wean as she sleeps right next to our bed and has ears like no other child we've had. <laughs> plus our intimacy has taken a hit. He acknowledges all of this, but he doesn't actually do anything towards moving her out. I have two other young children, so my free time is limited. He works long hours at a physically demanding job and wants to rest when he gets home. I understand that, and I don't expect things to happen overnight, but we've known this needed to be finished since she was conceived almost two years ago and zero progress. Mm. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. So I'm here basically to say that it's okay to say... He should fix it. <laughs> yeah, like fix fix the darn room. Like, I'm sorry yeah. he's tired, but if she's not sleeping at night, she's tired too. Well, that that was the thing I thought in that too is is I you, you, she's got a lot of she has sympathy for her husband, which is good. He works long hours at a physically demanding job, mm-hmm. and he's tired, and she gets that, and I think that's under that's understanding. But I think that you know, if you're a guy out there hearing this, I want to say to you like, when your wife says I can't sleep because of such a situation. Mm-hmm. If you're tired, but your lack of taking care of the problem is making your wife also tired, yeah. you need to value that as well. Yeah. I mean, she's tired because she can't sleep because of the baby constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, that he needs to hear that. And, and it's sure, it's important that he get his rest, but she needs to get her rest as well, too. But I'm not saying that I would never say you have to go fix that room because I am terrible at that stuff. I can't do that stuff. I don't have the, the skill set to do that. Yeah. That's, if I have a room, if we have a room that has to be refinished, mm-hmm. we hire somebody to do it because I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. I'm just not. Right. Um, and the thing here is he's working long hours at a job. Well, if you don't have the time or the energy to do it yourself, you are working you are employed. You can hire someone to do that job for you. Yeah. Now, not everyone has that. Even with his income, they may not have the extra money okay. to hire someone. But yeah, that's definitely what I would say. Did but I he do. certainly he certainly can put his tools in a shed. You know? Yeah. Like, put your tools in a shed. <laughs> and Well, they don't, it sounds like they don't have a shed yet. They need to get a shed to put the tools okay. in. Okay. Get a shed. <laughs> put the tools in the shed. Even if you don't fix up the room, That that's not too much to ask. And I would say to her, a couple of thoughts that occurred to me. Um, the first is, Katie... Remember when Katie was a baby, we were living in an apartment, so it was a little bit different from a house, but we had her crib out in the living room Mm -hmm. because if she was in with Rebecca, she would wake Rebecca up. Yeah, so we only had our room and the kids' room. Yeah. And it was a problem because we were in a small little apartment, so they would would upset each other in their own if they were in the room together yeah so we had we had her crib out in the living room now that may not work in a house situation if like you're on a totally different floor or something like that you gotta be safe right right but maybe there's another place where you can put that crib that isn't necessarily perfect but it'll do for now um Mm -hmm. i thought the other thing is you know babies don't need perfectly decorated rooms they just need safe rooms yeah so it doesn't have to be like you know full wall mural of like you know. No, doesn't need to be painted, doesn't even need flooring necessarily as long as it's warm and there's no exposed wiring. <laughs> as long as it's safe. Right? You know, there's nothing like really like that because babies, 
I mean, our kids never even ran around in the room. They ran around in, in the living room. But at a year of age, we really only used their bedrooms to put them in the crib. Yeah, it was a sleeping place. That's all yeah. it was for. And so if the room is safe and warm enough with no hazards to sleep, even if it's not fixed up, I would see if you can move the crib in there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about her saying to him, okay, I, I really need to know what the plan is to finish this. Mm-hmm. So I need a timeline. I need to know. I'm not mm-hmm. saying go in there right now and fix it this mm-hmm. instant, but I'm saying what is the timeline? Is it this weekend? Is it, you know, like what's, what are we looking at here? Yeah. And how can I help you? You yeah. know, like how can I help you? Like it could be, let's say that he's going to take, it's going to take three weekends to get this done. So maybe for those three weekends, she takes all three kids and she goes out of the house. So the kids are not going to be underfoot. He really has this entirely to himself to work on. Um, maybe you even call in some help, you know, call in a brother or, yeah. or, you know, there's a lot of teenagers at churches who often will, will do stuff. You know, maybe you've got a nephew or something like, help yeah, like call in some help and let's just get this done. <laughs> um, but yeah, if there's, if there's something that your husband needs to finish on the house and he just isn't doing it and it's impeding your sleep, I think it's okay to make that an issue. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you really need to. And, uh, and men, please listen. Because <laughs> when in those postpartum periods, she really does need to sleep. So do everything you can to make life as easy as you can well, for her. Well, he- here's the thing is, she's basically saying to him that our, our... How did she word it? But she's basically saying their sex life has taken a hit. I forget, yeah. how, she, I forget how she worded it. And, the, the, you know, to me, the implication there is, like, if you got this done... You'd probably be, we'd probably be having a lot better relationship in that area as well, too. So, mm-hmm. like. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> let's get this done. And last, and, and finally, if it just won't work and you have the money, hire someone to do it. Yeah. Because sometimes it's just better to pay the money than to have to live with this kind of insecurity. This has been this Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want lots more fun information or just some more fun stuff to read, there's a post on the blog with some podcast extras with, you know, posts we've talked about, maybe some extra advice, or even just some interesting things that we've found. I hope that you enjoy it. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you all later. Bye.